0: Because we're going to keep the windows open, I think. I put my thermal vest on this morning. Was I a bit ambitious? Was that about right? I don't know, but, you know, I'm okay. I'm toasty. All right. I thought wearing a coat up here would be a bit funny, wouldn't it? Uh, So I thought, yeah, that's the next best thing. As Dale said, this is the second of our new series looking at nine values of new frontiers. You might say to me, Tim, what is new frontiers? I can see your big side ears. I can't see any new frontiers. I could do with those, couldn't I? Um, You might not know, but New Frontiers is the extended family of churches we're part of. Uh, New Ground, you may be more familiar with if you've been around for a while, is if you like our more immediate family of churches that we're a part of. Well, the wider family, New Frontiers, um, they have some values, some core biblical principles some foundations that have always been there. And we just felt it would be good to look at them again. Perhaps in this post lockdown world, it would be good to be reminded of the things that shape us and we want to shape us going forward. Uh, Dale, as you said, spoke about being word based. I mean, that's a good one to start with. Dale preached it brilliantly last week. If you haven't heard it, we'll put it on the website tomorrow. Didn't quite manage last week, and you can catch up. And I guess word based is, is kind of the underpinning, isn't it, of the foundations. You can imagine that one going first. Yeah, well, we're, 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 coming, we're going with the book, okay? Yeah, uh, in summary, okay. And now, what other eight things from the book are we interested in? And uh, we've, we've Dale's already given the answer away, but I hope we could play a little game of blankety blank. Because uh, I watched blankety blank last night for the first time in Cut co- on a Colour Telly. I think the last time I watched it was probably when I was at home. I was never really a big fan, to be honest, but we quite enjoy, enjoy it, don't you, my love? Had some, you know, okay. Um, too much exposure. Um, so I thought, fill in the blanks, but you've been told. You've been told what the answer is. But if you've been around New Frontiers for a while, you probably know anyway. I mean, what has been one of the strongest emphases of New Frontiers all along, through the decade? What has been one of the distinctives that it's been known for? Like blankety-blank, I need some celebrities to shout out some answers. Any ideas? Any ideas? Grace. Any other ideas? I'll go with her, shall we? Yeah, it was grace. Dale's mentioned it three times. So there we go. There's our little blanky blank moment. Um, is that the only thing they can find to put on our telly after all that time? You know, it's fun. Anyway, it was quite fun. Um, and we're going to read from Ephesians chapter two. Well, Ephesians is one of those books in the Bible. It's only six chapters long, which is just full of the grace of God. Uh, another one is Galatians. Romans is another one, five to eight. I mean, these are chapters I've spent more time in than any other chapter in the Bible. Um, because it so explicitly talks about the grace of God, and we so need it into us. I mean, just, just as a heads up on Ephesians chapter 2, I mean, Paul here is writing to Christians, yeah. and he's outlining in minute detail, as he's done in Romans 5 to 8, as he's done in Galatians, the grace of God, because guess what, Christians? You need to be reminded of the grace of God. And if the early church needed reminders then, then we certainly need reminders now. So some of you might be saying, oh, we've heard this, Tim. We've been around long enough. We're long enough in the tooth. We've heard a few talks on the grace of God. Well, let's go afresh because we need it to permeate our heads and our hearts. We need it to get into every cell and fiber of our being if it's going to live out in our lives and in our church lives. There you go. So Ephesians chapter 2, come up behind me. If you've got it in front of you, look at it as well because it's good to reference it as we go through a bit later. From 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature
1: deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is
0: rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Holy Spirit we thank you for being with us this morning and we ask you again would you come and illuminate this passage to us come and teach us some stuff come and give us a greater understanding of your grace Give us a deeper experience of your grace this morning, that it may get into us, into our DNA, and may live out of us, affect the world around us. Do something in us, we we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. I've got three things to tell you about grace. All of them you can reference a little bit in this passage and I'll springboard a little bit here and there as well. They are that we are saved by grace. They are that we are trophies of grace. And thirdly, that we're to live under grace. So let's look at the first one. It's a good place to start. We are saved by grace. Paul uses this phrase twice in the passage we just looked at, in verses three and verses eight, I believe it is. No, five and eight. It is by grace you have been saved. That's his summary phrase that he keeps going back to. He's he's unpacking it in other passages, and then he's, oh, and it's by grace you have been saved. What is grace is a good question. The most succinct answer I think I can give you is it's an undeserved gift. And we've got both those words
1: but deserve
0: and gift in the passage. So verse 3 says that we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's wrath. But verse 8 tells us grace has come as the gift of God. We have an undeserved gift from God that is his grace. And I believe we can only really fully appreciate just how much grace we as believers have, have received from God if we understand our life before Christ, our life BC, if you like, before Christ. And we may not have realized it much at the time, but we can come to a better understanding now of what God's perspective was of us then before we came to Christ. And it's helpful for us, brothers and sisters, to look back and see how God viewed us. And the Bible puts it really, really bluntly.
1: So in no doubt, verse 1, it says, you were dead. You were dead. That's God's
0: verdict on our life before Christ, or if we've yet to put our faith in Christ, without Christ. That's his verdict. It's pretty blunt. It's pretty straight back stuff from God. You've heard the phrase, perhaps, as dead as a doornail. It's an English kind of phrase. I'm so sorry if some of you grew up in other countries, but it's, you might come across it as dead as a doornail. And we use it, I guess, to refer to things that are utterly devoid of life, com- completely dead, if you like, unusable in this dead state. Um, I, I guess we don't need it because dead is dead, isn't it? But as dead as a doornail, is just kind of pushing the envelope a little bit further. Apparently, p- perhaps, the phrase originally was a carpentry term, so it's great to see you here, Alex. You can verify this, perhaps, if you look back in the history books of carpentry. It is that um, it, rather than a metal uh, nail, you might have used a, a wooden peg to put your door together. And because it was wooden and it didn't grip so well, you'd have once you've hammered it in, you'd have to clinch it, and it could, would damage the wooden peg, uh, and so you couldn't get the peg out and you couldn't use it again. Unlike a metal nail, I guess, arguably, you can hook it out again and use it again, unless you're like me. Every time I hit a nail, it bends in the middle. That's more about uh, my lack of uh, DIY skills.
1: That's how dead we were in God's eyes, as a doornail. As dead as this music stand, if you like. We were,
0: yeah, physically alive. You think, Tim, well, I could breathe, I could, I could think, I could do stuff, yeah. But spiritually, you were dead. You were, you were like a spiritual zombie. Yeah, the, the lights were on, but nobody was in. That's, the assessment. And God didn't come and save us because he saw some potential in us. He didn't see some latent life that just needed to be unhidden. He didn't look at you and say, oh, there's a rough diamond. I just need to cut and hone and polish. No, no, there was nothing in us that attracted God to us. And it goes further, this passage it explains, actually, rather than living under God, we, we were ruled by an unholy trinity. Uh, That is the world, the devil, and the flesh. Referred to in this passage in verse 2 as uh, the ways of this world or the systems of this world. Referred to as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, talking about the devil, talking about the cravings of our desires and thoughts. That's our flesh. They were the things really that governed our life, the things that influenced us. We might have thought we were free and were doing what we wanted. But these were the, the influences that ultimately all came from the evil one that were over us. Hence God's verdict, we've already alluded to it. We were by nature deserving of wrath. By nature, God's judgment was ours, quite rightfully. That's what we deserved, his anger and his wrath. And it was into that hopeless and helpless state that God God intervened. He chose to come. He chose to interject. He, He took the initiative and verse four, and I I'll pause on it for emphasis, is one of these wonderful sentences in the New Testament that start with the word but. I love those sentences, and this is about as best as any, but because of his great love for us, God stepped in. Jesus came to earth as one of us. And because he was God, he, he was able to live the perfect, sinless life that we couldn't. And because he was God, he was able to choose
1: to take ownership for our sin. And he did. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He owned your sin.
0: And he went to the cross for it. And as a result, those of us who put our trust in Jesus, we're changed. We're radically transformed from being those who were dead in our transgressions to being made alive in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is good news. We know this, I know, but it's good to go over it. You see, no longer was God angry for us once we've placed ourselves in Christ because all his anger's been poured out.
1: There's no punishment left for us because it all fell on the head of Jesus on the cross. You see. And as we put our trust in God, salvation is ours by grace.
0: It's nothing of our doing. And it's all of his doing. That is amazing grace. His undeserved gift to us. Saved by grace. So secondly, I want to highlight, we are trophies of grace. Say after me, trophies of grace. Trophies of grace. Brilliant, lovely. fantastic. I love verse 6 and 7 in this passage. It continues the story of grace in our lives as believers. It says this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, this is brilliant, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, before repeating, for it is by grace you have been saved. I love this, I love this advert if you can see it a little bit, of the crown, uh, of the Tower of London. This little boy seeing the crown jewels, so close. He's a agog, you can almost touch it, it looks like. Has anyone been to the Tower of London, seen the crown jewels? It's, it's like that, isn't it? You can get really close when there's no crowds, I guess. Um, but just like the Queen has got her display cabinet of her best jewellery, uh, just like Manchester United have got their trophy cabinet, quite a full one, isn't it? Some envy amongst some of us other, uh, you know, other supporters of other clubs. <laughs> a bit of the cupboard's bare in some of our clubs. Um, perhaps like Laura Kenny has at home. Do you know Laura Kenny, the Olympic cyclist and her husband, just keeps sweeping up all the gold medals. I imagine they've got a shelf at home with Olympic
1: golds on. Or well, just like that, this passage suggests to me, God has a trophy cabinet in heaven. He's got a trophy cabinet. And what's in the cabinet? What's there?
0: What's being displayed? God's decided, I think, he wants to put some stuff out. From all of the epochs and the ages of history, he wants his best things on display for all eternity. So there's going to come a day when all his creating beings have the opportunity to pass by and see what is, what is God's most proud things? What are the things he's, that display something of his character most profoundly? Where, where in the world will people see evidence of the incomparable grace of God? Get closer to the cabinet. Get through the crowds. Get to the front. Get like this guy, this little lad,
1: right in front of the glass. What is it? Look, these trophies. What are they? They take human form. They're people. They're people like you and me. In fact, no, hold a minute. There you are. I can see
0: you. Oh, and there's me we are trophies of god's grace somehow somehow in the in the in the god's grace is best displayed in believers lives can you believe it
1: what a divine privilege what, what a destiny we have we're going to be there the angels are going to be aghast at what at us at the grace
0: of god in us and you see Grace, God's grace isn't just about that moment, whether you knew when it happened or not, when you put your faith in Jesus and his life came into you. Grace actually is the story of our Christian lives. It's grace upon grace. The whole of our Christian experience is to be one filled with grace. And if you like, grace 1.0 is being made alive in Christ. That moment, if you like, that we stepped over by faith, into his kingdom as i say some of you might know when that happened some of you might know roughly when it happened it doesn't really matter but it, there was a moment but if that was grace 1.0 grace 2.0 i suggest to you is this that we are spirit filled by grace I'm talking about the spirit already this morning we were astonished said peter that the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out even on the gentiles what grace <laughs> even on how many gentiles here? It's what a lot not all of us i know But a lot of us, this is us. The grace has been poured out on on us by the Holy Spirit's infilling. And just as we were made alive by grace, activated through our faith in Jesus, so we are baptized by the Spirit, again, as we place our trust and faith in the promise of God that it's for us. It's the same
1: grace. You see, there's nothing we do as believers to earn the right to be empowered by God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for good Christian behavior. Those who are baptized in the spirit, therefore, if you're baptized in the spirit, hallelujah, but like you cannot boast. It's not possible? because
0: you are filled by grace. And those of you who are yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and maybe it's something you've been grappling with, maybe it's something you're not quite sure of, then
1: don't worry. There is no room for you to feel. You're a second class Christian. Well, the promise is for you by grace as you activate it in faith. The coming upon of the Holy
0: Spirit is simply another undeserved grace for God's people, another undeserved gift for living godly, supernatural, courageous lives. Well, if that's Grace 2.0, what's Grace 3.0? I suggest to you that it is that we are spirit gifted. By grace. We have different gifts, it says in Romans 12, according to what? The grace given to each of us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, we might refer to prophecy and healing, tongues interpretation, all the other ones, words of knowledge, words of insight, they're all there in the New Testament. They're not awards to Christians. They're not badges of progress like some kind of Cub Scout getting his badges sewn onto his sleeve. No, they're gifts of God's grace to us, undeservedly. Even as believers, we don't deserve them. They are by his grace. They come to us. Similarly, by God's grace, we are all designated a different part of the body of Christ. You're a body part. Hallelujah. Something to celebrate, isn't it? <laughs> it's a funny old image, isn't it? But never mind. It's, it's a picture of the church where, where Jesus manifests, come to flesh, incarnate in some ways on planet earth, now that Jesus is in glory, in the flesh. And we each get to play a part. And some of us, the Bible says, we might be a hand. Some of us might be a nose. Some of us might be an internal organ. It, but whatever, they all have value. They all have validity because they're distributed by grace. You can't be any of it based on your own merit, based on your own qualification, based on your own experience. That's not how God apportions the gifts of the spirit or us as parts of the body. Paul made this same conclusion a chapter later in Ephesians, he was apostle to the Gentiles, and it blew his mind that he had such a significant role. He he wrote so much of the New Testament, it blew his mind that he would get to play that kind of role. And he attributed it to one thing and one thing alone. God's grace. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, he says, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Do you say that about the gifts that God has given to you? I think we can. I think we should. We should enjoy them because they're grace to us. Grace 4.0 is that we're sanctified by grace. What sanctified mean? It means to be made holy, to be made saintly. In, in our behavior, in our attitudes, in everything. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, it says in 2 Timothy. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It is God's grace at work in us that makes us more like Jesus, in our character, in our holy living, in our holiness. Grace 5.0 goes on. It's just grace upon grace. We're trophies of grace. Is fruitful by grace. In the same way, Colossians 1, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. There's a link. There's a link to our fruitfulness and truly understanding God's grace. We must continue our journey in understanding God's grace. It's a link to our fruitfulness for Him. I mean, it is is profound, it is humbling, it is awesome that we each, brothers and sisters, get to play a part in contributing to the advance of God's kingdom. Can you believe it? We each have opportunity to speak and to pray for folk, and lo and behold, some will be saved, and some will be healed, and some will be delivered, and some will be discipled. It's by grace. It's by grace there's going to be treasure in heaven that we somehow have contributed towards.
1: And we we will have the joy of seeing it and knowing we played our part. Our lives can have eternal consequence in
0: the world and in our own lives and in other people's lives. What grace. What grace to us. There we are. Saved by grace and we are trophies of grace. Thirdly, We're to live under grace. Say after me, live under grace. Live under grace. Wonderful. Um, Right, as a springboard, let's go to the last verse in this little passage in Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good
1: works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay. You see, we're not saved by grace. But we are saved, sorry, let's
0: repeat the statement because it's quite an important one. I'm trying to get it, Oh, I haven't practiced this, have I? Whilst we're not saved by good works, (laughs) that's more like it. Just checking you're awake. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Yeah, got it, yeah. I've got it as well, thankfully. (laughs) Just now, just now anyway, got it. Um, There are things, believe it or not, that God wants you to do. Now, some of these things are things he wants us all to do because it's about righteous living. But some of them are specific to you. He's got a will, a purpose for
1: your life. And they're things for you to do. And conversely, therefore, there are things that God doesn't want you to do.
0: Either because they're sin, so he doesn't want any of us to do them, or because they're not God's will for you or for your life. And this this verse just begins to introduce that whole theme. But God has prepared in advance for us good works to do. Good works to do. And you might think, that's great. What, what, a, what a privilege. And I might be trying to condense lots of race talks into one this morning. But the, the next thought, for me at least, is what's gonna, how am I going to make sure I'm doing the right things and not doing the wrong things? What, what's going to guide me? Where, what's going to fuel me, to use the metaphor of the day? In making sure I do the right things and don't do the wrong things. And the answer to you is this God will say, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. You don't need anything else but grace. What am I filling up with today, then, Lord? Grace. How am I going to do the things you want me to do
1: today? Grace. How am I going to avoid the things I shouldn't be doing? Grace. Is that enough, you say to me? Really? How, how
0: How is grace enough for us to do the stuff that God wants us to do and not do the stuff he doesn't want us to do? I think two things, and these are the things I'm ending on really. Firstly, a new motivation. Grace gives us a new motivation. Secondly, grace gives us a new ability. Let me just unpack those two things briefly. A new motivation. You see, if we've received grace personally, then we have a new heart. The Bible teaches that. If we have personally received God's gift of life by faith, we have a new heart. It is there. Oh, I can't remember when that... No, it's there. But therefore, as we understand grace properly, so we need to engage, then I believe we'll have a new motivation because it's there already. It needs to be drawn out of this new heart as we understand grace. It's true. If a Christian never reads the Bible again, never prays, never goes to church again, never witnesses again,
1: God will not love them any less. Scandalous, outrageous grace.
0: That's it. That is true. But I do believe also a grace-filled, grace-understanding Christian will quite naturally be compelled by a gratitude, by a joy, by whatever it might be, that will change everything about their life. And I'm going to give you a few examples. The first one I think is really relevant for us this morning. And you could go on. I mean, you could, you could think of many, many more beyond this. But grace-filled worship. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, it says in Hebrews 4 verse 16. You see, grace-filled worship is
1: focused on delighting Jesus, not pleasing people. Grace-filled worship is focused on delighting Jesus, not on pleasing people. Grace-filled worship
0: is characterized by God's presence, not by musical performance. Music to your ears, Robin Vinci. Yeah, Yes. Yes. Big relief, isn't it? Yeah. I know. I know you feel. It's true. Grace-filled worship is characterized by God's presence. We, have, we approach the throne of grace with confidence, speedily, quickly, because we know grace. Yeah, but what about Yeah, we can deal with all that straight away and in the presence of God. Not based on how well the band are playing or what levels the, the new PA team, well done guys. There's a whole host of them back there keeping this going. It's not, you no, know, it's based on the throne of grace and our confidence in it. Therefore, grace-filled contributions, and we may get some in a minute, may not be perfect because we prophesy in part and we're learning as we go together, but they will be motivated by love, love for God, love for one another. Another example, grace-filled giving. Dale's announced we've got a gift day on the 31st of March. No, let's bring it forward to October. Good idea, Dale. Grace filled giving. Uh, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. I want you to know about it as well. Um, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, a funny combination, welled up in rich generosity. Wow. But they had nothing, yet they were generous. Tumbling, isn't it? You see, grace filled giving is characterized by generosity. That far exceeds the law. Grace-filled giving is characterized by a a joyful frivolity, not mathematical precision. Because grace-filled giving is compelled
1: by the generosity of God to us that we have understood. This generous, undeserved gift. Not coerced by leaders or anyone else for that matter.
0: Thirdly, grace-filled relationships. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4. As some of you know, I I enjoy playing a bit of badminton. I've got a couple of badminton groups I've been playing badminton with. And um, over the last six months, some of us really enjoying being together, playing together, we've done socials together. It's been great fun, but it all kind of dissipated. uh, A WhatsApp message went out on the round, you know, from the club chair, and a few, you know, a few people could see in it a bit of mild offence, and it did offend people a little bit. I mean, you had to squint a bit to be offended by it, but you know. And, and the whole gang of us have just dissipated. They've voted with their feet. Gone and find another club. It really, we had, we had something going here. Now there may be other factors as well. I might be blowing it out of proportion, but that—that's—that's that's not
1: us. Why? Because we're grace-filled. Grace-filled relationships look different. They're fundamentally different. You see, grace-filled
0: relationships are characterized by a commitment to one another that runs
1: as thick as blood. Grace-filled relationships can talk tricky stuff through with each other, can overlook things, can bear with one another, can suspend judgment. Can ignore mistakes. Can give and receive forgiveness. It's church, brothers and sisters. That's, that's what we're in. The joy is
0: hard. But it's a joy. But we've got grace. We've got grace. We can do this. So we have a new motivation, I believe, by grace. Secondly, we have a new ability. Our new life in Jesus gives us a new ability to do good works and resist temptation because We are no longer under law, but under grace. Been around a while, you might have heard that phrase. What the heck does that mean? We're no longer under law, we're under grace. I'm going to try and summarize very quickly Romans 7 and 6. Uh, Anyway, Romans 7, I believe, describes life under the law. It says this, "For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry
1: it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing this sounds familiar, I think, to many Christians. They <laughs> that's me. But I don't think it was ever meant to describe normal Christianity. But unfortunately, many of us, and
0: I include myself, through the ages, through the history books, Christians have, have been perhaps saved by grace, well have been in fact, saved by grace, but later return to law. Saved by grace, but we somehow we return to, to striving, to, to works-based faith, works-based religion. If you're like maybe trying to earn back retrospectively the grace, the gift that God's given us. I don't know, what's the motivation? Perhaps we feel we need to, we, for God's ongoing
1: approval, we need to do this, do that, do the other, work harder. We're in a freedom season at the moment, what we called
0: it, different discipleship options. Do you know what we're free from? By the way, <laughs> important to remember, not about being free to be yourself, although it uh, might be part of it, you're, you're fundamentally, you're free from the law. And you're free from sin and you're free from death. Those are the three enemies, if you like, the three things we're set free from. Death has no, no hold on us. The power of sin has been broken over us, and you no longer live under law. Hallelujah. Romans six explains what being married to the law or living under the law, was like. And it uses marriage as a metaphor. See, God's rules and his standards,
1: they're good, but they make a lousy husband. They're overbearing, he's nitpicking, and he's unhelpful.
0: Hopefully any wives here today can use their imagination, have to use their imagination for this one. As As a husband, the law is overbearing, nitpicking, and unhelpful. But the problem is, The only thing that ends a marriage is if one party dies. Divorce is not an option. The law, though, will never die.
1: And God's solution is genius, absolutely genius. You die. You die when you align yourself with Christ in faith. And so when Jesus died on the cross, you died on the cross with him. And when Jesus raised from to
0: life again, you were raised to life with him. And we're really good at celebrating our new life in Jesus. But what we must also be equally good at is remembering and
1: counting the fact that our old self is dead. It's dead. And the good news of that is we're no longer married to the law. Hi, husbands. (laughs) Gone. Because death annuls marriage. And now we're free if you like, to, to remarry, to remarry Jesus. Because we're the bride of Christ, and he's
0: the bridegroom. And we can now, we're free to choose to follow him and to follow his ways. We now have a new ability that we didn't have before because we were under law. But that's been broken through the cross, through our faith in him. So if you're a Christian who's doing the things you don't want to do and not doing the things you want to do, be encouraged.
1: Be encouraged, firstly, because you have this new motivation. You want to do the things that please God. Why it's miserable? Because you're not. But you can. Be encouraged. The new motivation is there. The new heart is beating. Secondly,
0: nothing can separate you from the love of God. Hallelujah. We were reminded of that a few weeks back so powerfully the other Sunday morning Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even your bad works.
1: If you've been saved by grace, you cannot be unsaved by your works. And thirdly, as it says at the end of Romans 7, or near the end, thanks be to God who delivers me
0: through Jesus Christ our Lord. The fact is you died with Jesus, so you're delivered or set free from the law and from sin and from death for that
1: matter. And you now live under grace. So be in no doubt, beloved, this is one of our hottest spiritual battles is to live under grace. Not because it's difficult because
0: God's provided everything in that sense, but because there's somebody who doesn't want us to live under grace. He wants us to think that we still live under law, Lord. He wants us to take, go back there again and again. He wants us to live by works and not by grace.
1: But we need to fight for this. Are we say, no, no, no I'm, my old self is dead, gone, severed from all of that. I can now follow Jesus, found, find a new ability to do so. We, we
0: um, sometimes use the phrase, fall from grace. Um, maybe incorrectly Um, Matt Hancock for example the health secretary you could argue he fell from grace because of moral failure he's no longer the health secretary but that's the wrong use of the word of the phrase because the phrase originated in Galatians in the bible and Paul used it to talk about this dynamic he said come on believers no don't fall from grace which is to no longer live under grace but live under law as if you were to live by works, to live by striving to live by trying harder." We'll say, no, don't fall from grace don't need to fall from grace don't be those who fall from grace keep living in grace there we are so we're saved by grace we're trophies of grace and we can live under grace i've got just a few points of application then there's an opportunity to to worship again perhaps quincy in a song that might focus on jesus or welcome the holy spirit Gives you a broad base, is not it? That's quite a lot of songs, surely. Um, a, few, a few application points. Let's keep learning about grace. Let grace become your obsession. Don't tire of hearing about grace. Go to Ephesians. Keep reading Ephesians chapters 1 to 6. Keep going to Galatians. Keep going to Romans 5 to 8. Would those be the pages of your Bible that are most underlined, most scribbled on, most thumbed, most likely to be falling out of your Bible? It's not that I'm you know, telling you don't read the rest of the Bible. But once you've understood grace in its most explicit, explanatory way, then you can spot grace everywhere, all through the Bible. I'm reading about Jacob at the moment. Wow, what grace he had from God. Then read books about it. Um, secondly, be alert to signs of legalism creeping up into your life. Four that were identified by a guy called Rob Rufus in his book, loss of joy. Have you lost joy? It could be because you're not living under grace. Are you emphasizing the negative? It could be you're living by works. Are you feeling insecure? A whole host of things under that category. Jealous, comparing yourself, feeling threatened, feeling rejected, taking things personally, don't like other people succeeding. You're not living under grace. And fourthly, are you, are you being manipulated easily because you're desperate for acceptance or approval? Let's go back to grace. Let's not fall from Grace. That's number two. Number three, consider yourself dead to the law. This is something you need to remind yourself of when temptations come, when pressures come, where you know when you're trying to get back into All I-